I'm with Colin and Monta. Colin is from the far north of Scotland and Monta is from near Bangkok in Thailand. They live in Scotland and they have found their love of the Thai cuisine together. And Colin is a chef, trained chef, so he feels he should be in command of the kitchen. <laughs> However, what do you think about that, Monta? I find it so annoying when he didn't cook like the way I do. Uh, he tried to like tell me to do like how to do in the kitchen, and yeah, we fought all the time. <laughs> yes, we do. We fight all the time because I'm a chef, and I think I'm always right. And it's quite difficult having someone to tell me what to do in the kitchen. We're learning. <laughs> we're learning. You know, we're getting better anyway. Put it that way. What are you making this so, evening? So we're going to make lard, which is basically. Larb moo, which is larb pork. pork. Maybe Mona can explain it. Yeah, it's a cuisine from North East. Basically, it's just the minced pork, and then I'm you start cooking it. Yeah, you cook it in the it in the fry pan, basically, and add a little bit of water. And then after it's cooked, you just um, transfer to the bowl, and then you season it in the bowl. And basically, the the seasoning is the fish sauce the lime juice, the chili, the ground chili, and the ground rice, and shallots, and mint. The taste will be like a bit spicy and sour and a bit salty as well, yeah. And how important would you say, firstly Monta, I'm going to ask you, how important are onions in Thai cooking? I used to cook the chili paste from scratch and I know that the Charlotte here it's like in the main ingredient of the chili paste and la tom yam a lot of Thai cuisine that use shallots but onion as well we had um, so many cuisine that use onion like we added in fried rice and maybe we fry pork with onion and Colin, you've cooked all sorts of different cuisines. Where would you say the onion sits in your cooking? Yeah, definitely. Onion was always a base ingredient for when you were making soups, uh, sauces. You would fry some onions first. You would uh, put them into your stocks, and uh, yeah, they're a crucial, they're a crucial ingredient. Lots of dishes, just shallots or onions, spring onions, the onion family. As a, as a key ingredient and it just gives every dish so much flavour uh, even when it's from raw to when it's cooked. I'm just trying to think, it's probably one of the most utilised ingredients in cooking. You know, if you, you know, most dishes would have some sort of onion in it in some sort, you know, whether it be like I say white onion, shallot, spring onion, something like that, you know, red onion. So yeah, it's probably one of the most versatile ingredients in, in all forms of cooking. Welcome to the Science Behind Your Salad, brought to you by BASF. In this series, we go in search of the best ingredients and we tell the stories of those striving to provide the freshest, tastiest produce for our dining tables and for our stomachs. Today, we are peeling back the many layers of the onion. It's a vegetable that grows on almost every continent and can be traced back some 7,000 years. I like them raw, but I like something that's crunchy, 
that is mildly sweet, but it still has to taste like an onion. And I like to make my own fish tacos, so then just slightly grill, you know, just brown them a little bit, caramelize a little bit on the grill, put them over that fish taco, and oh, man, it's uh, that's good stuff. I, I love uh, uh, roasted onions. I, I roast onions all the time. I love fried onion rings, which I think is a very American thing. Onions appear in most recipes, and it's a vegetable that, when you chop it, can make you feel all emotional. And we'll hear about a brand new game-changing onion variety in this episode. We started to discover that in addition to bringing along this very mild trait, these onions appear to be tearless. To get a flavour of how ubiquitous and how versatile onions are, I'm talking to a chef. Chef Tim has the privilege of working in the wonderful setting of the JW Marriott Phuket Resort and Spa in Thailand. Onions are, as with all cuisines, a key ingredient in Thai food. Hi, Chef Tim. Lovely to see you. Hello. Nice to meet you. How are you? Very well, thank you. How important are onions in your cooking? It's quite a main ingredient. They always have in every recipe, most of every recipe, yeah? We have many different types, which is uh, same, similar with the flavor of onion, you know, some small, some big, some brown, some red color. But every Thai dish that the, we prepare and cook is always have them inside of it, yeah. Yeah, base ingredient. And have you any idea how many onions you use in a week and what type of onions? For total, in a month, we use around 480 kilogram for the onion, yes. <laughs> wow, that's a huge amount. Yeah. <laughs> and Tim, tell me what sort of dishes you make in your hotel? Quite many of them, but the one that I always have to use is on the base sauce, like a pad thai, we have to have onion in it. Uh, start when we stir fry, we already use the red onion one, yeah? And later on when we put all the other of uh, ingredients like noodles and eggs, and later on we have to put the salt, we should also have onion inside the sauce too. And the other dish that very famous and I think Many European and to uh, risk like this is called beef salad. We slice very thin, tiny uh, red onion uh, and also crispy onion on the top. Those one very famous too. Yeah, we can uh, spit so many variety because uh, some of it uh, good with curry, some of it good with stir fry, some of it good with garnishes. You know. But they all grow in Thailand, yeah? And we also have our own unique onion, which is very small. And people uh, who live in Thailand, we know that they not easily grow. That's why we make it as a pickle as well. So we have the small red onion pickle also, yeah, yeah, those kind, yeah. Onions are the unsung hero of a multitude of recipes. Most sauces, stews, curries and casseroles feature onions at their heart. Pickled, roasted, fried, or even eaten raw, onions of all shapes and sizes pop up everywhere, from salads to hot dog toppings, from onion rings to onion bhajis. So what's so special about this vegetable, famous for making people cry when they slice it? And is it time we celebrated the unassuming allium? Mark Kalansky is a New York Times best-selling author and winner of multiple food writing awards, such as the James A. Beard Award, the Bon Appetit 
American Food and Entertaining Award for Food Writer of the Year and the Glenfiddich Food and Drink Award for the Best Food Book of the Year. His next book is called The Core of an Onion, Peeling the Rarest Common Food. So who better than Mark to talk about this vegetable? And I promise I won't use this phrase again, however tempted I might be, mainly because it's only a phrase we use here in the UK. But Mark certainly knows his onions. When you first think about an onion, you think of something very ordinary and and common. But if you just think about it for a minute, what other vegetable has a built-in defense mechanism where if, if you attack it, it'll spit sulfuric acid in your eye? I mean, that's, that's a bit unusual in the vegetable world. <laughs> Rabbits, groundhogs, rodents, uh, things that dig up bulbs and eat them. They can enjoy the tulips, but they'll be sorry if they bite into an onion. So where did they come from? Often, we can still find ancestors growing wild. There are wild onions around, but they aren't the same onion as the one we eat. The, the ancestor of the one we eat no longer exists. And it hasn't existed for a long time. I mean, Pliny in first century Rome said there are no wild onions. So there's a lot we can't understand about an onion because we don't know what the wild one was. They seem to have originated somewhere in Central Asia, West Pakistan, Turkmenistan, somewhere like that. There are other wild onions that grow in that area. And it's assumed that they're similar to those. In the past hundred years or so, we have crossbred onions. We've figured out how to do that. And uh, so most of the onions that we eat today are really not that close to wild onions at all. And there are, you know, lots and lots of different species of onions and different cultures have preferences for different onions and uh, bunching onions of Japan and Bermuda onions. Bermuda onions are an interesting story. Uh, Bermuda onions are quite well known in the U.S. And the origin of them is that there's a very interesting thing about England. England was never a, a great onion producer, although they're great onion eaters. Arable land is considered of considerable value in England, and there was always the sense that you shouldn't waste it on onions, just import a bunch of onions. So But during World War II, it was really hard to get onions in England because they weren't importing them. And so the British uh, looked for other places to waste the land on growing onions. And one of them was uh, Bermuda. And they were very popular in America. So the Americans did what Americans always do. They they just made their own. (laughs) They started producing them in Texas. And they completely destroyed the market in Bermuda, so that nowadays a Bermuda onion is usually from Texas. And onions' ability to grow in almost all conditions led them to be found in all corners of the globe. Yeah, it's it's absolutely uh, everywhere. I think for two reasons. One is that it grows everywhere. It grows very easily. Three reasons, actually. It grows very easily. It transports very easily. And it's a very pronounced flavor that adds a lot to things. So for those for those three reasons, it's, it's just everywhere. In the Bible, it says that when the Hebrews and Moses led the Hebrews out of Egypt into the Sinai and gave them this manna, this food from God, 
they said, well, this is nice, but where's the onions? Because <laughs> Egyptians had some really great onions. <laughs> Ancient Egyptians were fascinated by the physical architecture of the onion. They saw it as a, a metaphor for life. There's layers within layers within layers. And because they saw it that way, onions were always put in tombs and mummies uh, had onions placed in them. Uh, onions were going to guarantee a good afterlife because they were so much what eternal life is about. Because an, an onion is eternal, you know, you just keep peeling it. But above all, it's the flavor that holds a place in Mark's heart. And he's not the only one to love the onion. I, I love uh, uh, roasted onions. I, I roast onions all the time. I love fried onion rings, which I think is a very American thing. Some people are great fans of onion sandwiches. Hemingway was a great fan of onion sandwiches. Hemingway was from Chicago, which is an indigenous word that means onion because there were wild onions growing in the area. And his father, who was a doctor, was a great naturalist and taught him how to gather wild onions. And in all his life, he ate onion sandwiches. James Beard, the celebrated American food writer, uh, loved onion sandwiches. And um, there's an Irish thing. It shows up in America also, as everything Irish does. Um, egg and onion sandwiches. It's uh, hard-boiled eggs with mayonnaise and thinly sliced green onions. In Ecuador and Peru, they, they have this way of marinating onions and they turn red and they this wonderful condiment to have on meat and uh, endless varieties of onion soups. Did you know that an onion soup helps to sober you up? In France, they, the nickname for onion soup is soup d'ivrogne, the drunkard soup. And the reason why, you know, famously, when they had the Central Market Leal, people would go there late at night and have onion soup. The reason for that was they were trying to sober up because they'd been drinking all night. <laughs> I'm not sure if that works, but I, I would encourage experimentation. <laughs> the onion sandwich, enjoyed by Ernest Hemingway, was named the Mount Everest Special. It features in his posthumous novel, Islands in the Stream. If you want to try it, it's two slices of white bread, spread with peanut butter and slices of raw onion. But clearly Hemingway is not the only fan of onions. In 2020, world production of onions and shallots was 4.5 million tonnes, led by the People's Republic of China, with 20% of the world's total, and Mali, Japan and South Korea as secondary producers. Jeff Betger is from BASF. It's his job to predict what consumers will want from their onions and what future growing conditions will be like in the coming decades. Well, you're not the only one that loves onions. I think the, a lot of the world's population does, and that makes it the third largest vegetable consumed. So you have potatoes, tomatoes, and then you have onions. And you can find onions in over 170 countries around the world. So a lot of people are consuming onions. Um, I think the reason that onions are so popular is they're so versatile, right? As you mentioned, you can cook with them, you can eat them raw, there's just all kinds of way to prepare them. Onions are also a storage vegetable, so it allows you to keep them in your pantry for a long time, allows growers to keep them for a long time. That's the reason they're an extremely popular vegetable. 
And in terms of the markets for onions, I know there's probably a global market, but there'll also be markets in specific countries, on specific continents. Just give us a flavour of what the markets are like for onions and, and what impacts those markets. It's a staple vegetable, it's a commodity, it's something you want in, in your dish every day. So each country around the world is trying to produce its own onions. But oftentimes they're not able to achieve that for a number of reasons, for seasonality, or there can be a climate upheaval. So onions are also a globally traded crop. Uh, because of this ability to store and keep onions, you can put them on a ship, on a train, on a boat, and put them anywhere in the marketplace. So there's a lot of international trade involved in onions as well as being a, a local crop. Where does it play a big part in cuisines around the globe? And, and how do those different countries use onions? So onion consumption varies greatly around the world. Uh, parts of the Middle East are consuming over 20 kilos per person, per capita per year. Then countries uh, in North Europe, for example, the UK, I think is around two kilos, Netherlands. So you really have a, a wide range of people consuming uh, onions around the world. It's really a, a basic food uh, ingredient. It's the spice. It's the soul of the meal, the soul of the dish. Uh, that people really uh, crave. I think India is, in a, is a country that's very interesting uh, for me for onions. There's over one million hectares of onions produced in India. Um, and, you know, for, for Indians, it's really a must-have vegetable uh, in their meals. In fact, uh, when the price of onions gets too high in India, we've seen governments overthrown as a result of, you know, people unhappy with the, the price of onions or their inability to to source onions. And how does the crop grow, Jeff? You know, is there a global standard in terms of how it's cultivated? Um, and, and I suppose linked to that, what are the ideal climate conditions for growing onions? Well, um, onion seed is very small. It's about the size of a, of a push pin, the head of a pin. Um, and it's so small, in fact, that oftentimes seed companies like ourselves will put a little bit of clay around that onion because it's a regular shape to smooth it out and will actually add a color to it because it's black. It's hard to find in the soil if you're a farmer planting it. So from this very small little seed, you know, you can grow something like a four inch, uh, very large uh, onion. I think the biggest challenge for onion growers is weeds. So this very tiny little seed takes a long time to sprout, maybe 20 days. It emerges very slowly. Um, you know, it just shoots up a small little green leaf, a flag leaf that you can barely see. And so it's often the case onions are planted in the spring when the weather is cool, the soils are cool, and the weeds normally have a big advantage. So the weeds are growing faster than this little onion. So I think one way around that and to compete with weeds in a lot of markets around the world, they, they grow onions as a transplant. So. They'll take onions and grow them in a very dense area, and then they'll take those individual onion plants and then they'll plant them, transplant them out into a field. And by that time, your onion is bigger or should be bigger than the weeds around you. It takes an onion about 120 to 150 days to fully mature. Uh, so if you think about that, that's a long time to be in the field, a long time to be competing. That's why we have to plant them so early. So. I would say that the main way of, of planting onions is through uh, this method of transplanting. 
And what's the ideal climate for growing onions? Where in the world is best for the onion? So you can find onions uh, in the north of uh, Sweden. You can find onions, uh, of course, in the tropics now. Think of uh, Brazil or, or Malaysia. And then you can find onions as far south as um, New Zealand uh, or the tip of Chile. So really, uh, we as plant breeders have allowed onions to be adapted everywhere. Think of very cold climates, wet climate, tropical climates, dry climates. Adaptation everywhere. I'm still thinking dry, arid climates. Just like, you know, we like to go to the beach, I think the onion kind of likes to be in that warm, sunny, sandy climate itself. So that's the standard onion crops. I want to know about this new groundbreaking onion, the sunions. Onions are what we call a biennial crop, means it takes two years for them to make seed. So you have to have a long-term vision for what, as a breeder, you're trying to achieve in the end. Because breeding is about crossing different onion types together and then over a period of time making that a uniform variety so it, you can replicate it over time. And so you've got to be thinking 25, 30 years ahead, what do I want to achieve when I'm crossing onions? So it actually was back in the 1980s that uh, our scientists here at BSF started thinking, and the problem that he was trying to solve was a bit different than what we ended up with, or maybe we solved both of them. So we could see that in the 1980s, people wanted to eat more fresh onion. The challenge is that fresh onions, when they're harvested in the, in the summer and the fall, you can relatively make a, a mild, easy to eat, less pungent onion. But when you start harvesting onions in the fall, these what we call the winter storage onions, the genetic traits that create that long storability, those carbohydrates, are connected to sulfur compounds that make an onion very pungent um, and not very mild, right? So what the breeder wanted to do was do something that a lot of people thought was impossible. He wanted to create an onion that was actually mild during those storage winter months. It didn't exist. In fact, onions tend to become more pungent, more spicy, more tearing in those months. And so he set out on a course to cross different varieties together to create this onion that would be wild, mild in the winter months to give U.S. consumers a more year-round opportunity for, you know, sandwich and, and salad onions. In the early 2000s, finally, all of these crosses were done and we had something that was a bit more replicable and uniform. And we started using sensory panels so we would get people together to kind of, a, you almost call it a tasting, like right? Like a wine tasting. We'd have an we have onion tastings. And so, well, uh, yeah, the, what was interesting was consumers said, boy, this is really mild, it's sweet, it's exactly what I want in the winter months. And we gave them a number of different questions they had to answer, but what they remarked was on the bottom of the page, by the way, I'm not crying, or what happened to the tears, or this is amazing. And so we started to discover that in addition to bringing along this very mild trait, these onions appeared to be tearless. And so we then used some of our um, traits and our, our, our science to try to figure out, okay, what's exactly happening here? You know, how could this be mild and tearless? And we were able to validate uh, through some different uh, scientific measurements, some advanced sensory panels, that in addition to creating an onion that was mild, we created an onion that was tearless through all natural breeding, through all natural selections, and this onion that we developed that we called Sunion, yeah, you go back to the beach and the sun, and that's how we came up with the name, right? Onions love the sun. So Sunions is this onion that combines 
something in the winter that you can grow local, that's mild, uh, and that doesn't create that problem that a lot of us have when we cut them open, and that's tearing. And that's the Sunion story 30 years later. The Sunion is a long day sweet onion. The major difference between conventional onions and the Sunions is the length of time the bulb takes to mature. The Sunions mature faster than conventional onions and require intense monitoring. Once harvested, as with most onion crops, sunions go into storage. In most onions, volatile compound levels increase during storage, and those higher levels cause the onion to become more pungent. This pungency leads to teariness when you slice them. But in the sunions, these volatile compound levels do the opposite. Over time, sunions actually get milder, sweeter, and more tearless. Back at Colin and Monta's house, I asked Colin what he remembers about crying over a chopping board. So Colin, as a chef, what's it like when you're preparing for a meal, having to start the day with chopping a couple of kilos of onions? Yeah, there's nothing worse because all you do is end up crying your eyes out, you know? So it's uh, when I used to work as a commie chef, one of my jobs was to probably peel a 60 litre tub full of onions. And uh, yeah, you're probably peeling a net of onions a day, a 20 kilo net of onions a day. So that was a lot. And you were literally just standing crying all the time. And all the senior chefs would come past and say, oh, are you still peeling the onions? Why are you crying, you know? It's like, yeah, whatever, you know? It's one of those jobs that someone has to do it. So when we're cooking with our Thai food and stuff at home and you're only maybe peeling a couple of shallots like I did for this dish, it was actually surprising how much my eyes were watering yesterday and how I was crying only peeling. I think I peeled three shallots for this and then finally sliced them to go into this dish. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those jobs that you can, never, you can never get away from, peeling onions and crying, you know? Right, that's immense good, so I'm going to transfer it to a bowl. Goggles, chopping underwater, putting the onions in the freezer before chopping. There are so many different methods we try to use to stop onions making us cry when we chop them. But no more. The sunions, as we've heard, don't make you tear up when cooking. So how do you get that message across when launching a new variety of something as commonplace as an onion? Enter Jason Fuller from Golden Sun Insights. It was his job to tell the US public about the sunions. Yeah, you know, one of the video campaigns we did is, uh, you know, we had someone cutting an onion and they, and they kind of dramatically take off the goggles and throw them because they're not needed. You know, we've had some situations where we have some videos where people are putting the onion on the eye physically itself and saying, look, it's not stinging. And so, yes, there is a, a coolness to that. You know, I think early on it looked like a very uh, cool marketing campaign and something that was so unique to the, uh, to the onion category. And how do you make it stand out from the crowd? from the other onions that are out there? Well, that's still a challenge we face today. The, the bagged onion has become more and more a staple where people come in for a three or five pound bag onion, and that's where you can tell a story. You get to put a brand on the bag. You can you know, really call out the tearless um, option or the tearless quality, and that's what we're focusing on today. Fast forward, 
uh, social media and and the inter- and, and all the tools on the internet have given us the chance to tell that story in a different way. So if you go back 20 years ago, this would have been a much more difficult discussion. But with influencers, uh, we've been on you know um, local TV shows and things like that. It's building a little bit of momentum uh, around that work. The, the foodie the foodie networks out there they they're always looking for something unique and different, and so we're really trying to get that message out. And how do you emphasize the higher value to the market? Um, and, and also, can you convey the value in terms of the time spent developing that variety? The, the retailers do understand that in varietal development, there's a lot of money and time and effort spent behind, and there has to be some type of reward at the end. I think also the guidelines, the third-party guidelines that we put around Sunions before it can go to marketplace also constitutes an extra value and effort going into it. And so by sharing that with the retailer, we will see some response. The consumer doesn't really care. Um, they, they're looking for you know whatever option, but the consumer will respond to quality. And what we've seen in the produce category in the U.S., you know, while they'll say one thing, they'll do another, and it's typically overpriced unless quality is involved. And if they find a product to be better quality, then price doesn't matter as much. So how does it taste now with the hard sell from you? Well, I think that the difference is the consistency and the sweet flavor. So if you take the tier list out for a minute, and I spoke about sweet onions, um, you know, the expectation of retailers are they're sweet. But the problem is a lot of onions are sold as sweet onions and they have a very pungent aftertaste to them. And so I think that that's a cool, that's one of the things that, you know, Sunions is kind of try it, like it type of thing. You know, we want to put it up against other onions and have somebody tell us that it's not as good or not better. And very rarely do we find that. So what do consumers think? Typically, um, some of the surveys we have done with one of the major retailers in the U.S., we did this last year. And there was great feedback on Sunions. Um, and in some settings, it was because it was the only option available. And so they took it home and, oh, my God, I really like this. But this year, uh, we're starting to see more attraction to the brand and more people looking for it and starting to see a lot of Internet activity. That's due to the fact that we're getting more volume into the marketplace. We're seeing uh, some of the retailers really getting behind it and started to promote it because they're seeing a, a category that's re- re- relatively flat in a lot of respects, you know, get a little bit of a lift. I, for one, cannot wait to try chopping this onion. I use them a lot in my own cooking. The Sunions have been piloted in the USA and this tearless variety now has been launched in several supermarkets in France, Germany, Italy and the UK. It's a real game changer. As we've heard, the first tearless onion is a result of more than three decades of conventional breeding efforts. With a breakthrough like this, what else could we expect in the coming decades? Here's Jason with some future thinking, and he spotted a new market opportunity thanks to social media campaigns. Future trends, I think one of the things that we do have going for us in the fresh produce aisle is the foodie people that I talk about. And I believe it's a younger generation that's moving into that that aspect where they're looking for things to be unique. They're looking for things to be different. And they're willing to take the time to download you know, recipes offline and, and, and take them uh, to, to do something unique for a dinner party or for others. Um, the internet has really helped with that. Uh, we find quite often in a lot of the produce space that people just don't know what to do with certain items. And so they need ideas uh, to to 
to in order to enact that into their normal cooking. If not, you fall back into your old patterns and buy what you know. What I would focus on, and, and this is what I'm telling my marketing team right now, my four, 13, 14-year-old daughter has really fallen into the cooking. She loves it. She loves going in there and making nice meals and doing things. And when she found out of all the companies I work with that I run the Sunions account, she has been all over me to get this onion in the house because she has even seen the TikTok, she's seen the social media. And so she's like, why? And it just hasn't been available in the area we live in. Again, why I want to get it in more people's hands, push it more because that, you know, I don't know if Americans are more fickle than others, but, you know, they get frustrated when things aren't right there at their fingertips. And so they lose interest. And that's just something that we have to fix. It's very true that when you have people over, you know, having a unique bottle of wine, having a cheese that no one else has tasted, having an onion like this, it's a talking point if, you, if that's what you're trying to provide at whatever social gathering you're there. And Jeff Betger has his crystal ball handy as he, too, gazes into the future. Here's what he thinks breeders should be and are focusing on. I think the biggest thing for us is providing growers something that gives them confidence and security, um, especially in changing climates, but also in changing markets. The onions that we're going to release here now in the next couple of years were started 20, 25 years ago. And we were fortunate again that our scientists had this vision of a, of a future with lower inputs or challenging climates. The majority of our breeding has been done already for decades in dry, dry, hot climates. So it kind of gave us a head start on, you know, really pushing the boundaries of what an onion could grow under with a lack of water or very high intense heat. Uh, we found a series of onions that when we actually reduce the inputs of water uh, and fertilizer and crop protection, we get the same or better yield than we were getting with those higher inputs. So that's something that we're gonna be rolling out here in the next couple of years and something that we're gonna to continue to focus on. We're also increasing the storability of onions. What does that do? That allows the grower during the winter months to play the market, if you will. So if there's a glut of onions at one point, yeah, they can wait a little bit longer to release their onions in the marketplace. Once they release them, uh, the time on the boat, the time on the, the shelf, or the time, Jane, in your pantry, we'd like to extend that time so you don't, in the end, have to throw out those onions. So we're making some progress there as well on the storability or the shelf life of the product. And you made the point earlier that it can take 25 years to get a new variety. How on earth do you predict the future of what you might need or what you feel growers might need or the market might need when you're thinking 25 years ahead? That's what makes the job so fun, uh, Jane, uh, is to try and I think I shared with you the crystal ball I have on my desk that sometimes is a little bit clearer or sometimes a little bit more fuzzy. But we do spend a lot of time, you know, talking to uh, growers, retailers, consumers, futurists, economists. Uh, we look at, uh, you know, changing climates. We work with climate scientists. Uh, we look at with health nutrition uh, people. We look at the uh, AI, all kinds of things to try as an organization to chart out where the future might be uh, and then what traits might be aligned with that future and then how to start working toward, uh, you know, what, what might happen. So yeah, we don't have all the answers. If we did, we'd be in all kinds of industries and not just onion. But I think, you know, the basics of, um, you know, high yields with lower inputs, uh, have been around for 7,000 years since the first onion was cultivated. 
in Egypt. So I think the basis of what we as plant breeders try to do probably will be applicable 25 years from now as they work today. But again, I think now that we have more insight to science, though, maybe I'll say this. I think looking at the nutritional aspect of an onion, I think that's something that we didn't have the bandwidth or the insights before to look at some of these, you know, probiotics or the um, anthocyanins, the yeah, fiber content. So I think there's things we can do as geneticists also to play on the, on the nutrition aspect as well. So maybe that's that could be a, another frontier that could open up. Meanwhile, in Thailand, I wanted to know how the Sunyans would affect Chef Tim's work in the hotel kitchen. If you had an onion that didn't make you cry when you were preparing for, for cooking in the evening, how would that make you feel? I feel surprised. I can cut onion like a sun, you know? <laughs> if this has happened, it's surprising us, you know? Yeah, because all of my stuff, and especially in cafeteria, when they prepare, they prepare like a lot of them. So when I walk past by, always cry. If something that happened or the issue that we talk and one day we have onion that make people no cry, I think I will be surprisingly, yeah. Yeah, and you're helping us a lot for the kitchen. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Science Behind Your Salad, brought to you by BASF. The Science Behind Your Salad is a fresh air production. Be sure to follow us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. Thank you for listening.